The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. In all of this, you'll see the details of your own story. The story of a life well-crafted. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. For populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. We need to hurry along this morning and get ready to enjoy the home opener of the San Francisco 49ers football team. There's a predicted high temperature of 87 degrees today. So regardless of the score, it's going to be a hot game. Just yesterday, I was walking to our garage chatting with two of my neighbors who observed that climate change is real. This summer has been a cooker, one of them observed. Well, I don't know. I think we say that every year. And it's probably true that it's getting hotter in Silicon Valley every summer. But that's less proof of climate change, capital C, climate, capital C, change, than it is of just poor urban planning. And just this year, the last major orchard in Silicon Valley was bulldozed to build 300-plus attached, clustered, what you would call townhouses. Were once hundreds, if not more than a thousand trees, absorbed CO2 by the ton. The planned asphalt streets and the concrete walkways and the parking areas in this new housing complex are going to be counted as, quote, green space, unquote. That's to manage, to to stay within the density limits that are imposed by the building code so that they can squeeze, and I do mean squeeze, 300-plus teeny tiny two-bedroom townhouses that will sell for more than a million dollars apiece into that space. So here's what our urban planners always forget. Soil, you know, dirt, an orchard, absorbs heat. Asphalt and concrete expend it. Yes, Silicon Valley is hotter than it used to be. I've lived here for a long time, and I'd agree on that. But it's definitely man-made mischief and short-term thinking more than than additional evidence of of natural climate change as though we needed more evidence. 
And while all those poor football players are sweltering on the field this afternoon, folks lucky enough to be enjoying Lake Tahoe at the fall equinox are experiencing temperatures in the high 60s and just above freezing at night. And that's just about what fall temperatures in the mountains were when I was a child. You know why? Because there's a huge lake there, a very cold lake if you've ever put your toe in, surrounded by a lot of trees and a planning system that's very careful to limit the amount of asphalt. So there's a lot of dirt, plain old-fashioned dirt, absorbing, not expending heat. So, you know, the short-term poor planning does not really, is, is very real, and it explains why it gets warmer and warmer here every summer. But it doesn't negate the fact that the world, not just the United States, the entire world is experiencing climate change or the urgency of solving the problem. Our Customs and Border Patrol issued a report this week that talks about the relationship between climate-driven, the um, climate change-driven changes in farming um, results in the, what we call uh, the, the Northern Triangle of Central America and the migration, the unprecedented migration of Central Americans north toward the United States. If you can't grow coffee and you can't grow corn and you can't feed your family, you need to do something different. And that's what these people are doing. They're trying to migrate. And as climate change continues, we will see more of that. So we need to work on strategies to mitigate those climate-based agricultural changes. Or Greenland. Greenland this year saw as much as 11 billion, with a B, tons of ice melt in a single day. That's enough water to fill 400 Olympic-sized swimming pools in one day. Multiply that by a summer, and some scientists think the melt could be as much as 400 billion tons of ice melting into the oceans alone this year. If the entire ice sheet of Greenland were to melt, scientists believe that would raise the ocean level about 236 feet globally. And it is the urgency of that problem, magnified in those terms, that mobilized the youth of much of the world last Friday. School children, high school and college students, and their parents took to the streets around the world to demand the world's leaders do something. It's getting to be a familiar theme on this program where the population is yelling at its elected leaders to do something to solve a problem. And yet, time marches on. And so those school children are saying, do something and do it now. And they marched in Melbourne, Australia. 
Nairobi, Kenya, Rio de Janeiro, in London, Paris, Madrid, Rome, New York, and San Francisco. You know where they didn't march? Beijing, Moscow, New Delhi, Tehran, Riyadh, just the places where they should have been marching, but they weren't allowed to. But world leaders gathering in New York for the UN's annual General Assembly meeting this coming week should hear and heed the demand for a fulsome global approach to addressing climate change. And, and, while, and while I truly believe it is time for us to take a global approach, and I don't think the Paris Agreement was a global approach. It was, it was, a, um, it was a sop to these children, okay? You know, I, I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I think you really have to do things. You, not, you know, setting, setting gossy, gla- glimmery, uh, gossamer goals does not get you anywhere. If I can't measure it, it's not going to happen. And so we're going to go take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the major difference between challenging the world's leaders and creating hysteria. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back to talk about the difference. What happened on Friday, this m- global march for climate change? Yes, it's a real thing, climate change. And yes, there are a whole lot of things that the developed world needs to do in order to mitigate climate change. But there is a major difference between challenging the world's leaders to do better, which we need to do, and creating hysteria. And the Green New Deal is a gimmick. It's a gimmick to call attention to a serious global problem And yet, at the same time, it's a gimmick to help a particularly ambitious young politician build a name for herself. What the Green New Deal is not, what the Green New Deal is not, it is not a scientific treatise. Thus, the pledges of allegiance to it from Democratic presidential nominees only add to the hysteria surrounding the assertions the Green New Deal makes. With perhaps the singular exception of Marianne Williamson, every one of those politicians on running for the Democratic nomination for president know, know for certain, that the world is not coming to an end in 10 years. Nor, and they also know we cannot reverse hundreds of years of climate change damage that man has done in 10 years. 
Every single day, we got to be working to get better. But Noah doesn't talk about 10 years. Noah talks about changes that will have an impact in 2100. And, that, and, and it does it in a very gentle way. Yep, we're going to have to move people away from certain oceanfront property, etc. But every Democratic nominee who sat in front of a camera last week and there were, you know, in these climate summits on television and pledged allegiance to the Green New Deal knows they're lying when they do it. But they do it. And by pledging allegiance to this, by saying, I'm going to make this into policy, they say, I'm willing to wreck the United States economy and to destroy our national security just so that I can claim credit for saving the world, which is both hubris and entirely bizarre. And these people want to run to be the most powerful person on earth. The guy with the, or gal with the biggest, uh, Warren at Pierce is now leading in Iowa, um, with, with their finger on the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world, sitting atop the largest economy in the world, talking about, Change is so extreme and so expensive that it would wreck this economy, destroy our national security, and not save the world. And they know it. Because let's talk about what some of the basic facts of the underlying issues of climate change are. You know, um, it, it is... <clears throat> It is not, you know, the, the basic changes of that more carbon dioxide that is trapped in the atmosphere, the warmer the world gets. Every living thing on Earth that breathes in oxygen exhales carbon dioxide. We humans exhale a couple pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere every day. And so before we go back to Friday's hysterical marches around or the hysteria that surrounds those marches, let's take a second to think about that. We humans, if we do nothing else, we humans exhale more than, well, it's pretty close to three pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere every day, every single one of us. So here's a little math problem for you. There were 1 million total inhabitants on the earth in the year 1 AD. Today, there are nearly 8 billion. 8 billion people, each person now breathing almost 3 pounds of CO2 into the atmosphere every day. If we do nothing else, if we just stand there and breathe or lie there and breathe, okay? Just think about that. Trillions of tons of CO2 are emitted into the atmosphere every single day by every single living creature. Because, you know, I just 
figured out. We, we just talked about the number of humans, every animal, every bird, every dog, cat, cow, horse, llama, whatever, breathes CO2 into that atmosphere in addition to the more than trillion tons that we humans do. That alone would be a reason that, that uh, that's your baseline. Anything else that we do that pollutes the environment is in addition to that. That's a fact. That's a global fact. Okay. So that's where you begin to talk about climate change. Not by hysterically saying the world's coming to an end in 10 years, because it's not. But at Friday's march, Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old from Stockholm, who strikes, we are told, stoke the global day of student strikes for climate change to do something now, dismissed the advice that adults have given her, that we, and I'm quoting, that we study and become climate scientists. She says, in front of a microphone in New York City on Friday, it's too late, the 16-year-old. It's too late. We need action now. In 10 years, we can all be dead. Well, you know, that's true. A meteor could strike Earth. Chairman Kim could go crazy and set off nuclear uh, weapons and start, you know, the cataclysmic uh, apocalyptic war that, you know, that that some feared um, in the 1950s. But I don't think that's going to happen either. So I think it's a really good thing that most of our kids don't even watch network television anymore because all three of the major networks and all of the cable channels carried this 16-year-old life. Telling her peers they're going to be dead in 10 years because of the leader of the failure of leadership of national leadership of American leadership to end the climate change crisis. Remember I just told you There are 8 billion people, plus all the other things on Earth that breathe, you know, mountain lions, buffalo, etc., that that breathe CO2 into the environment. And of that 8 billion, Americans are 340 million. We're barely a rounding error. And we'll be back in just a moment now that we've talked about doom and gloom, to talk about what doom and gloom means and then how we can react to it in a positive way. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. It's too late for people to study to be a climate scientist because we're all going to be dead in 10 years. So tells us a 16-year-old from Stockholm. That's what she told leaders of Congress this week, too. Is that what we're teaching our children in school? If, if we are, then I think we all need to stop 
and take a deep breath and get hold of reality. The most liked comment, the number one comment from the New York Times front page story on the Children's March on Climate Change said what needs to be said as well as anybody could. And you all know I'm a businesswoman, so I believe in smart reuse. So at Gary, I hope you won't mind if I quote you just a little bit. This entire concept is so disheartening, he wrote. I live in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. The elementary school across the street just held their climate march. I saw eight-year-olds holding signs and chanting, I don't know, but I've been told climate change has to go. At least they got the first part right. Kids don't understand anything about complex issues like climate change. As their parents and teachers all cheered them on, I actually saw kids who looked sad because they are literally being told that their future is in peril because of the bad people in government who don't care about them and won't protect them. Fear-mongering, Gary writes, is always wrong, whether it is that immigrants are ruining the country or global warming is going to kill everybody in 12 years. End quote. I can't tell you how much I agree with him. Now, it's true what it says in the Green New Deal, The USA is the world's biggest emitter, emitter, okay? Um, But but what is no longer absolutely true um, is that we are are the biggest emitter per capita, not the biggest emitter in absolute terms. And I'm starting to wonder if absolute terms— might matter more going forward as we see melt in the ice and and that the um, melt of the tundra and that releases methane and the whole thing is a terribly destructive uh, circle. So we want to stop it, pu- push it back if we can, but at least mitigate it. So we need to get to the point where we talk about about solutions, where we give our children a reality check. If we look at the increase in the population of this planet in the last 2,000 plus years, if we still farmed with mules and walked to school and used wind to propel our ships, we'd still have a huge problem. Back to human beings alone put trillions of uh, a trillion tons or so of CO2 into the atmosphere every year. That's why trees are so important. That's why we call the Amazon region the lungs of the earth because the intensity of, of forested vegetation there absorbs so much of that carbon dioxide. But if we talk about the Green New Deal, which drove a lot of the fear and angst that our eight, nine, ten-year-old children are experiencing as a result of their classroom lessons or uh, two-day climate summits on MSNBC um, where everybody pledged allegiance to the Green New Deal. If we really think about it, you know, the Green New Deal makes one great point. 
It is that the affluence of America makes us the number one emitter, emitter per capita. It's a number we need to reduce. We can't reduce it to zero without wrecking our economy and destroying our national security. But we can work on that number. It's our global responsibility. It's our responsibility to be a good steward of the earth and to demonstrate to other less concerned parties that they too must be good stewards of the earth, not by gestures, not by pledging to give them, to bribe them with money, but by showing them that we in America can do better. It's not all that difficult because it's also extremely good economics for us. We are, what, what drives our economy is two things, innovation and consumerism. Climate change offers enormous opportunities in both those areas. And the fact is that over the last 20 years, the United States has statistically done 100 times more to limit our emissions than any other country on Earth. If we are looking for the number one emitter, we need to look west from here. Okay? CO2 emissions should be at the top of the list of U.S.-China trade talks. I don't know how to order the three biggest threats that, that need to be addressed um, in terms of China trade talks. You know, if you want to call them one, two, or three, I think they're all interchanged. Number one, China's not a developing country anymore. It's, it's actually the largest consumer economy in the world. If we don't, if we don't, mind our P's and Q's, it could very quickly become the largest economy in the world, supplanting ours. So, number one, China doesn't get, can't be, can't, we can't ask for bribes in the Paris Climate Agreement. All right. China is the biggest emitter. They like bring a coal plant online every day. You've seen pictures, I'm sure, of the smog. Now, they say they have a 20-year climate change plan, but believe me, it's more about clearing um, parts of the Amazon to feed China's population, and it's more about raping um, Kenya and, um, and surrounding um, Nigeria, et cetera, um, in order to get their oil than it is about, and, and it, than it is about the little electric cars where they do dominate the market. Tesla may be big may be big and bigger electric cars, but if you want a little electric putt-putt, the Chinese are years ahead of us there. But back to China as the biggest emitter in the world. If you want to talk about the world coming to an end in a decade in in a decade, I I I suggest you look to the two biggest coal burners in the world and that's China and India. So right after stopping their outright outright espionage and their theft of intellectual property comes the issue of reducing their carbon footprint. Every time you buy something made in China, you are increasing 
the carbon emitted into our atmosphere because of their dependence on coal as a, as a manufacturing tool. And <clears throat> they're, they're looking at me like, you know, are you going to stop and take a commercial break? So maybe we should, because when we come back, what we're going to talk about is rather than terrifying a small segment of our youth population, let's talk about solutions. And there are solutions. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. Let's talk about climate change solutions. I mean, no one thing is going to stop this, given the basic. fact of the number of people on earth having increased um, from a million to eight billion. Um, so we, we can't stop this phenomena unless we all stop breathing, which we're not going to do, but we can mitigate it. We can do a lot. Again, we're an ingenious people. We're a people with an economy based on that ingenuity and on consumption. So let's talk a little bit about the consumption side. There is absolutely no reason for the Trump administration to reverse California's 50-year-old clean air waiver. If the auto industry is capable of building cars that meet higher mileage standards, what's the worry? If those mileage standards work in the 24 most populous states in the union, the air would be cleaner, right? So why don't we want clean air all over in every state? The argument for continuing the waiver, against continuing the waiver, I'm sorry, is simply politics. There's no other explanation except that Trump knows he won't get California's 53 electoral votes. So he wants to punish us? I don't think we feel punished. We feel like we're doing the right thing for our children in wanting the air that our children breathe to be as clean as possible. And politically, it doesn't make any sense. Who's against cleaner air? Not the oil industry. They're leading the research into alternative fuels. They have been for the last 15 or 20 years. It's pure economics. They both understand the fact that eventually, you know, people are not going to drive gasoline-powered cars. Oops. They also know that the easily available oil out of which they make gasoline is a diminishing supply. So they've been hard at work on uh, alternative fuels, even alternative jet jet fuel made out of uh, plants. And instead of arguing over 48 or 50 miles of fuel and, and filing an antitrust suit against four automakers because they wanted to make a deal with California, oh, not a part of that deal was General Motors. And is there anything bigger than General Motors? 
So how can that be antitrust? Also, Fiat Chrysler Jeep was not a part of that. So it can't be an antitrust violation. But what would be wrong? Shouldn't we be putting every possible resource we can toward developing a fleet of electric cars with the driving range of a midsize SUV and a Ford sticker price? I believe we can get there. But to get there, we've got to train a lot of new scientists and smart assembly line workers. Because it's both engineering the car well, but it's also building it efficiently that gets that sticker price down. So kids, parents of kids, don't listen to Greta. You do need to go to school and to study to be a part of the solution. Yelling at the top of your lungs only adds to your CO2 emissions into the atmosphere. It does not help to solve the problem. And when we talk about a, an electric vehicle that has the range of a midsize SUV and the price of a Ford, you are talking about the fundamentals of this economy. You're talking about jobs. Not jobs in California, jobs in Ohio, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. It's about exporting cars again, not our jobs. It will take more than 10 years to complete that transition. But we can make incremental progress along the way. Today, in the new car business, it's about 2% electric and 98% gasoline power. What if we could move that in 10 years to a 50-50 mix? Because we've developed a car with a Ford sticker price. I'm going to write a blog about this later on this week. But, you know, I don't have a need for an autonomous car, for a car that drives itself, as much as I think we all need to be driving cars that do not drive on gasoline, but that actually fit our lifestyle, which means it has to be able to get from San Francisco to L.A. or San Diego on a single charge. That's the range of a midsize SUV. Now we need to get that down to the price of a Ford. We can do this. We know how to do this. We need to do the research. We need to do the experimentation. We need to think about the physics. And then we need to build them with absolute efficiency. And speaking of toxicity to the planet Earth, did you know that lithium batteries are made of our good old friend carbon? Not to mention that they are a source of combustion in dangerous places like cars, airplane cargo holds, and it's believed uh, scuba diving boats as well. But you know what? Emissions don't all only come from cars. More than retrofitting buildings to more efficiently heat and cool with existing technologies, we need to develop entire new ways to heat and cool. Rather than increasing the use of incandescent light bulbs, as the president recently ordered, it appears 
that he doesn't like LEDs because they make him look orange. That's been reported. I don't know the truth of that, but, you know, all the news that's fit to print. But ingenuity, instead of regression, ingenuity will bring entirely new solutions for lighting our homes, offices, and public buildings. Now, the Germans have been working on technology where the sun's rays would be would be absorbed by new types of of Venetian blinds all day, and that those blinds you would then turn them the other way at night, and they would illuminate your home. It's a great idea. I don't know yet that we've made the breakthrough to make it commercially feasible, but that's the kind of thing that we need to be working on, not just the Germans, we need to be working on that. And, and we need more scientific breakthroughs. And, you know, there's a whole program at Stanford University doing nothing else. These are new opportunities for us to develop new products and new markets. And, you know, California is still playing around with electrifying legacy trains. And I have a good friend who serves on the board of the uh, group that has opposed the bullet train um, to date. Maybe we can get him to come and talk about it. But we are still playing around with electrifying legacy trains between San Francisco and Gilroy 20 years, 20 years after China said, uh, we want to experiment with one bullet train. And they've now completed thousands of miles of high-speed, 125-mile-an-hour trains that make subcontinental rail traffic travel attractive. You know, it's one place I agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is that we need to make more use of rail tra uh, travel. We need it, but, but not legacy trains. We need Hyperloop, maybe. We need high-speed electric. We need to put these trains in new places. We need to abandon old tracks. We need a level of urgency about modernizing our rail system. That will take a tremendous amount of truck traffic and car traffic off our highways. That alone would help enormously to reduce our emissions. And our farmers... Our farmers need a boost, a boost of income. They can be major players in the climate change success story with carbon capture technology. It's another opportunity for science to lead to good, sustainable jobs. And it provides opportunities to help countries to overcome climate-related crop loss, etc., helping the world to be a more stable and hospitable place. And we'll be back in just a moment with a few closing thoughts. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. 
So now that we've helped the world to be a more stable and hospitable place, let's talk about we Californians. We take, we're, we take this need to conserve, preserve, and protect our environment quite seriously out here. We are the fifth richest economy in the world. Yes, this one state alone, standing by itself, is the fifth richest economy in the world. But we also are leaders in the climate change arena. So we are proving every day by the little things we do that protecting the environment is possible without sacrificing significant parts of our lifestyle. We're both an example to be emulated and a challenge to the rest of the nation. And we hope, I sincerely hope, that we are a beacon of possibility and, and trade to the rest of the world. AB 32, our first Clean Air Act, was passed during the Schwarzenegger administration, and it, recalled, uh, it called for a return to 1990 emission levels by 2020. Well, you know what? We met that goal three years ago in 2016. Even though in the intervening period, we'd had an almost 25% increase in population. So we're doing something right. And, it, and we did it despite our absolute addiction to big, fast cars and our suspicion about government and mass transit. Our success is due to our collective willingness to recognize and address the issue, to pay a little more for energy that's generated from renewable sources, to pay a little more for gasoline that burns more clearly, which is actually a necessity based on our geography and our weather patterns, and to make individual sacrifices in the areas of convenience like single-use plastics. What we're doing is not enough, but it is a beginning. It is a place to start. And climate change is a topic we'll come back to with some guests and um, delve into more deeply because it is very significant. My point this morning is to say it is not all gloom and doom. Our children do not have to be afraid. Our children will grow up, they'll go to college, they'll create these breakthroughs that we only imagine today. And in the year 2100, I'm hoping that sea level will not be as high as Noah now predicts. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about today or listen to a podcast of this program, go to ricochet.com or reimagineamerica.org. I know what interests me, more things than I ever have time to really research, but it's more important to know what interests you. So if you've got questions or topics you want to get asked or answered on the air, send me an email at joyce at reimagineamerica.org or leave a comment in at Ricochet um, or tweet me at Joyce Cordy, all small letters on Twitter. Or you can also follow us on the Reimagine America radio um, hashtag uh, uh, Twitter handle. <clears throat> we are, Reimagine America is, 
independent, and nonprofit. If you appreciate our independent, results-oriented, post-political voice, please consider making a small donation at reimagineamerica.org. And until next weekend, week, have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll talk again. Thanks. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.